Welcome, everybody. My name is Russell, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Copper Hills Church. Uh, And if you're joining us online, thank you so much for being with us. You are part of our church family as well. I just want to ask, how are all our bellies doing after this past Thursday? I know mine is still kicking me, but uh, it's all right. We're still here. I also want to say thank you to all of you in the family that uh, make all of the food for like the whole day. You prep early in the morning, and then you make it. Yeah, you deserve a round of applause because the people like me and the families who sit watch football, and eat, we're very thankful for you. So round of applause for those people, yeah. There we go, there we go. We heard the applause going. I'm interested in hearing, though, what are some of your favorite foods during the Thanksgiving meal? So just kind of show of hands, I want to see where you guys are at. Raise your hand if your favorite part of the Thanksgiving meal is the meats. So like turkey, ham, okay, about the same as like last service. All right, what about if your favorite part of the Thanksgiving meal are the sides, mashed potatoes, gravy, green beans, stuffing? Yeah, a lot more, a lot more conversation around that one. Now, how about the desserts? You got pies, seems like more pies, pies on pies on pies. Yeah, okay. Well, for me specifically, I love the rolls during the Thanksgiving meal. Yeah, a couple claps, I appreciate that. My, uh, my family makes these delicious three-hump rolls that are like layered in sugar, honestly. That's why I love it. Uh, but who else is with me? Anybody like rolls? Rolls is their favorite part? A couple people? You're my best friends? Sounds good. Well, anyway, wherever you're at, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving with your family and with your friends. It was a wonderful time for me and the people that I got to be a part of that with as well. We're finishing up in our last week of our series of Psalm 23 that actually started 10 weeks ago. And if you're like me, when I first heard about this 10 weeks ago, I was like, man, Brad, this is going to be a long series. But if you've been with us for a week or maybe half the series or all 10 weeks, I think you could agree with me that this has really opened our eyes to the true meaning of David's psalm here. You see, David wrote this about 3,000 years ago in the Negev Desert, and upon your first time reading this psalm, you probably think about overflowing abundance, living the high life, not having any worries, and everything you want gets taken care of. But as we read this and dove deeper, we began to understand that it is rooted in deep dependence on a God who is our good shepherd, leading us in all aspects of our life, and is constantly trying to bring us back to him. Personally, I've loved all the creative elements that we've done in this series. Can you guys relate to that? We've done a lot of really cool things to help us understand and tangibly recognize what David was really meaning in this series. From the very beginning of writing Psalm 23 slowly and then rewriting it in our own words, to having the image on stage of what a green meadows really looks like in the second verse where it's not the green, luscious grass that is overgrown and abundant, but it's really the dried up patches of grass that are surrounded by dirt that we're being led to daily, to having the image of what it looks like to be protected and comforted by a rod and a staff of a good shepherd, and to finally realize what the sheep actually looked like back then, not these fluffy, white, small, pure-looking sheep, but really these large, dark-colored, messy easily distracted, prone to wandering, stubborn sheep that they really are. And if we're honest, it's a lot like us as human beings. What I thought would be really fitting for us to do all together and really honoring to God in this moment uh, would be for us to read through all of Psalm 23 together now that we have gone through all this newfound wisdom and understanding of what David was trying to say here. 
Because you see, there is something about standing before the Lord and declaring as the body of the church the goodness of God as we get to see in his scripture. So if you're joining us online or if you're here in the room with us, would you please stand where you're at and we're gonna read off all of Psalm 23 here together. Now, I don't want us to read fast. I want us to read slowly. So here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, you guys can be seated. Today we're going to be talking about that last verse there, that last line of verse six in Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Upon reading this, I I thought of something so intriguing uh, in this last line, because you see before this last line of verse six, all of all of it before in verses one through five are really what is happening on this side of heaven. And now what I mean by this side of heaven, I mean what's happening here on earth. You see, the first one, verses one through five, and the first half of verse six are all about what we experience on an earthly level with God. So everything that we experience on an earthly level with God, we've been reading about over the last nine weeks. And then this last line changes to a heavenly level experience with God. And so it's as if David changed his writing from this horizontal view of what he gets to experience here on earth to this heavenly view of what he experiences with God in this moment. And so what that does is it ends up leaving us with a question. And that question is simply, what does it mean to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? What does it mean to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Well, for me, I found three words in that question, and it's really in that last verse that stood out to me that I think will help us understand that question. Those three words are dwell, house, and forever. And again, it's in these three words that I think we'll find our answer to the question. And I want to start out in that second word of house together. But I think in order for us to understand this question to ourselves, we need to think of the question what does a house mean to me? What does a house mean to you? Is a house a place of status where it defines your zip code, where it defines how much money you have, or it defines how successful you are? Is your house a place of comfort and peace where you have no worries, you don't have to worry about bad things happening, everything comes easy? Is a house about security to you and you've got the highest tech and security systems and What does a house mean to you? I even wonder if we change the word house to the word home, if that would change your viewpoint on it. Because I think for some of us, when we think of house, we just simply think of a place. I go home, I sleep at my house. It's a place where I have shelter. It's a place where I live. There's nothing more than that. But when you change the word to home, emotions get attached to the word home. Because for some of us, if we have a positive viewpoint on our home, we feel the emotions of love, of joy, of fulfillment. 
But if we have a negative viewpoint of home, we might end up feeling the emotions of pain, of brokenness, and of emptiness. David's meaning of house here might actually surprise you. You see, the Hebrew translation of this word actually comes out to being a temple or tabernacle. And as you get to know David's story and his background, it'll end up making a lot of sense. You see, as a young Jewish boy, David, living under his father's rules and laws, would have had to come back to the tabernacle three times a year for these festivals. And these festivals would be held all around in the courtyard and all around in the tabernacle and things that are going on there. And for me, it's actually pretty timely to talk about this because our spiritual formations pastor, Paul, has started this discipleship group for 12 young men that's called the Academy of the Twelve. And part of our curriculum in the Academy of the Twelve is simply to read through all of the Bible in a whole year. It's really hard to do. But we started this reading in October. And so since then, in our reading, we've come back with our groups and we've discussed what we've been learning and what we're understanding in these groups called quads. But in October, we started reading And about a month ago, we ended up reading Exodus 35, which is about Moses and his instruction from God on the mountain of Sinai when he's learning these laws and he's learning the commandments. And God gives Moses a specific instruction on building the tabernacle here. And so the tabernacle was this 15-foot-high structure of finely woven linen by skilled craftsmen that would end up being the dwelling place of the Lord here on earth a physical presence for the Israelites to go and experience and commune and interact with God. And then within the tabernacle, God's presence was manifested in the Ark of the Covenant, which was the sacred chest made of gold, acacia wood, that would end up holding the commandments and holding other laws and spiritual holy items like that. You see, the Ark of the Covenant was inside the tabernacle, But even being inside the tabernacle, it was in a separate room behind a curtain, and it was deemed the most holy of places where only the high priest could go and commune and talk with God on behalf of the people. So for David, as a young Jewish boy, he would have gone to the tabernacle during these festivals three times a year to come and connect with the priests and to come and connect with God's presence. And as you follow David's story later on, as he becomes the king of Israel, you understand that David was part of the one who designed a permanent structure or a house for the Lord to dwell in the temple here on earth with the Israelites. Because you see, it's in this last line that David is wanting to dwell and live in the dwelling place of the Lord, the tabernacle, all his days of his life. And here's where I want us to come back to that first word, dwell. The Hebrew context for this word really translates to return. So David is wanting to return to the place when he dies to where God is. And he thinks that he needs to return to the tabernacle because that's in his time where God's presence was manifested. So to David, it's about returning to a house because that house as the tabernacle was the only place here on earth that he could have gone to experience God. But that looks a little different for us today. And it's actually pretty lucky for us. You see, we don't have to go to the tabernacle or the temple in Israel to live and experience God's presence because Jesus changed that dwelling place of the Lord long ago. Jesus' perfect life, death by crucifixion, resurrection from the tomb into heaven, brought about a new dwelling place for the Lord. 
And that dwelling place is actually here with us and within us now. There's a guy named the Apostle Paul, and he wrote a whole bunch of letters to different churches throughout his ministry in the New Testament, and they would end up becoming books of the Bible. And so in his books of 1 and 2 Corinthians, he's got a lot of things to say about this new temple, this new dwelling place of God here on earth. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says this, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? And then in the sixth chapter, we see it say that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. And lastly, in 2 Corinthians 6, 16, Paul says, For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, it's through Jesus that our bodies have become the dwelling place of God here on earth. But before Jesus' life and death here on earth, where would the dwelling place of God have been? Where would we have thought that God would have lived before then? Trick question, it's not the tabernacle, but it's in heaven. We think of God living in heaven, right? Well, Jesus comes on the scene in the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll hear him talk all about heaven in the form of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. In fact, in Matthew, Jesus says to seek first the kingdom and live righteously. And if you do this, God will give you everything that you need. Which means that we are being invited to live and to dwell with the Lord right here, right now, in our current moment. We can enter his house, the kingdom of God, now through the power, the love, and the grace of Jesus Christ. But I think if we're honest with ourselves in this moment, whether currently or in the past, or you foresee this coming up, that's something we forget to live into all too much living in the kingdom of God. You see, I think the reason that we don't live in the kingdom of God in his house is because we are so focused on the kingdoms that we might have here on earth. Brad likes to put it this way. We have these kingdoms and these queendoms that God has given us say and control and rule over in our life. Things like our jobs, our homes, our children, our marriages, money, schoolwork, valuable possessions, yards, cars, phones, pets, and not to mention all the relationships with people. But God has allowed us to be in charge of those things. Yet, we often think that we're the only one in control of these different kingdoms and of these different queendoms in our life. So can I tell you something? Can I tell you that living in the house of the Lord now looks like bringing your different kingdoms and bringing your different queendoms under God's kingdom, giving God the control of your kingdom and of your queendom and partnering with him in that. What that looks like? First, you got to acknowledge that God has even given you say and rule over things in this world. That's a pretty cool thing to admit in and of itself. And then you thank him and say, man, God, thank you for allowing me to have responsibility in this world to share this world with me, to let me be a part of what you are doing. And then daily, it's inviting him into all the areas that you are controlling and in charge of. 
that's maybe welcoming Jesus into your work day because you know on your own it's gonna be long, it's gonna be hard work, it's gonna be burdensome. It looks like asking Jesus to lead your interactions with your family, whether that's your siblings, your children, your parents, because we all know how annoying and how hurt we can get by our family members. It looks like bringing Jesus into your school life because you know how defeating it can be to feel like the only person trying to be a Christian and trying to live for Jesus on a school campus. And it looks like telling Jesus about all the struggles and the hardships that you're experiencing with finances and car troubles and marriages and friendships. You see, we align our kingdoms and queendoms with God for two reasons. The first is so that we can experience God's presence here on earth now. And the second is so we don't have to do this alone. Because guys, life is really hard on our own. I don't have to tell you about how hard life is. But I got a lot of friends and people in my life that I really care about who are going through hard things. Porn addictions, parents' divorces, affairs, identity crises, losing their jobs, and even not being able to find jobs right now. And if I'm just being honest with you, life's hard for me and my wife as well. There's things in our life as we try to dwell in the house of the Lord that, that we don't get to have. And that's really heavy on our heart and that's a desire that, that we can't have and we don't know why. But it's real. It's hard. This life is difficult. But when we try to control and do those things on our own, those kingdoms and queendoms, and we don't bring those kingdoms and queendoms into God's control, into his kingdom, then we'll never believe that he is better, that he is bigger, that he is trusting, that he's worthy of everything that we have. And it's hard to imagine sometimes. It's even harder to trust and hard to believe it. But God is wanting you and me to join his kingdom right now. Living in the kingdom of God now is actually our reward for surrendering to the Lord in our moments. You see, the instant that you give over your kingdom and your queendom's control to God's kingdom's control, you get to experience living with God now. All you and I need are two things from the Lord, his grace and his mercy. You see, our sin keeps us out of the house that Jesus has prepared for us and is inviting us to live into. Our tight control of these kingdoms and of these queendoms blinds us from God's invitation into his kingdom. We need the mercy and grace of God every day in our lives. And that's why it says this in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so very much that even while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Here's something you need to know. Mercy is earthbound, meaning mercy is only needed for us here living on earth. There's actually no place for mercy in heaven because it's only necessary on this side of heaven where broken and a sinful world reigns. Mercy keeps us from going into our graves right now, while grace gives us a key that allows us to access heaven right now. Now I'm paraphrasing this part. But in Lamentations 3, 2, 22 through 23, it says that God's mercies never cease and they make me new every day. Without mercy and grace, our life would actually result living under the earth and not in heaven. 
Through mercy, we can live in the kingdom of God now, while through grace, we can live for eternity in the kingdom of God when we die. Our eternal home is still with God in heaven when we pass away from this earth. And I need you to know something as we wrap up. Everyone will live forever. Hear me there. All of us in this room, all of us watching online, everyone will live forever, but not everyone will live in the house of the Lord. And here's the last word that I mentioned from verse six of Psalm 23, was forever. That word forever translated from Hebrew actually means eternity. You see, us as human beings, we are eternity beings. Forever is real. There is a life after this side of heaven. You and I are forever people. David realized that. David understood that he was a forever being and that he would spend eternity somewhere. And so David's hope was that he could spend eternity with, in heaven with God. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is what side of forever do you want to live in? And even more so than that, because forever is coming, but we've got something that we need to deal with now. Do you want to dwell in the house of the Lord now? Do you want to experience God's presence now in your life? Because let me tell you, dwelling in the house of the Lord now means that we get to experience all of verses one through five of Psalm 23 as well. Here's what it looks like. When you live in the house of the Lord now, you experience God as your shepherd who leads and protects you all the days of your life. When you live in the house of the Lord now, you experience lacking nothing because God has given you all you need and is with you all the time. When you live in the house of the Lord now, you experience resting in green meadows, not the luscious, overgrown green pastures, but the small patches of grass that sustain your life through dependence upon the Lord. When you live in the house of the Lord now, you experience being led to peaceful streams where your soul and your strength can be renewed through coming to the good Father. When you live in the house of the Lord now, you experience a refreshed soul by God whose power and whose strength is limitless. When you live in the house of the Lord now, you experience being guided along paths of righteousness because the Lord's mercies and grace make us new every day. When you live in the house of the Lord now, you experience bringing honor to God's name because he deserves all praise and all thanks in our lives. When you live in the house of the Lord now, you experience that there is no fear in the dark valleys because God is right beside you. When you live in the house of the Lord now, you experience God's rod and staff continually comforting and continually protecting you. When you live in the house of the Lord now, you experience a feast in your enemy's presence, which is a table that he has set aside for you to come and join him in when things get hard. When you live in the house of the Lord now, you experience being honored by God and having blessings flow from your life because God has called you to him from the beginning. And when you live in the house of the Lord now, you experience God's goodness and mercy and grace all the days of your life. Jesus is the only one that can determine your now and can determine your forever. His mercy invites you and me into his now while his grace secures your and I's forever. So join Jesus forever and join Jesus now in his kingdom. Let me pray for you. 
Lord, thank you for uh, this moment. Thank you for a physical place, a physical house like this that uh, we get to worship and, and live in with you. Uh, but God, thank you for this new temple that you have given us, that you get to dwell with us all the days of our lives. It is only through your grace and through your mercy that we are able to live and to dwell with you. And sometimes we just think about what is gonna happen as our time ends and we don't even really think about ourselves as forever being. We just think about what it might look like with you in heaven. But you've given us the opportunity to live with you now, to live in your kingdom now, to dwell with you now. Thank you for David's words here as he paints a picture of what it looks like to live with you, God. Lord, we really want to live with you, but sometimes this life is just hard. We've got things that don't go our way. We've got desires that aren't, aren't met. We've got people that we have to talk to and work with. And man, when we try to do all these things on our own and we try to live into these kingdoms and queendoms that you give us control over, it can be hard. So in this moment, would you put it on our hearts to, to give over these kingdoms and these queendoms to you and to align ourselves with your grace and with your mercy so that you can take control of those things and yet still let us work alongside you and with you in them. Lord, thank you for all of Psalm 23 and for David and his writing here. It's been so good to experience what it looks like to be dependent upon you and to be led by you and for you to really be our good shepherd. Would this be a, a series that we don't just forget about? Would this be a passage of your word that we don't just let loose, but that we really hold it deeply and dearly into our hearts? Because you are a good shepherd, and we can dwell in your house forever. Amen.